Hello, Spacers. This is Atlas, Berserker of the Acers. I need the audience to share our story to anyone you meet. One, it'll increase my standing for promotion. And two, it'll help our group share our story through the planetary system. We love to see our supporters and backup from everyone who watches. I'll hand you over to Nathan. Hey guys, thank you for watching and supporting through following, subscribing, Patreon, and even just watching listening to the show. I hope you enjoy this episode, and make sure to leave any thoughts or questions in the comments. Until next time, Spacers. Thank you. You ever get tired of drawing maps and having your players ruin your hard work by teleporting away? Or using Charm Creature to avoid that glorious boss battle set in that laboriously crayon-drawn map? Yeah, <laughs> me too. Well, that's my problem no more. Starlight Maps and Battle Mats are now sponsored by the beautiful artwork of Loki Battle Mats. From lavish palaces to cold alien caverns, they have a solution for everything. The maps come in big books that are easily transported, can be drawn on with erase markers, and immerse the players with a stunning reality. They'll forget they aren't actually standing by that pool of lava. And Battle Mats are only the beginning of what Loki has to offer. Want to know more? Go check them out, or stop by our YouTube to see what they have to offer. Now, let's roll. Hi guys, welcome to this Starlight Recap. We know that the story itself is hard to keep up with if you miss any or if you even jump in to the story a little bit later because of poor audio quality and you want to get in at the areas where the audio quality is, audio quality is the best. This is something we're going to endeavor to do every quarter um, or every about 12-ish episodes. So without further ado, let's you jump in and do a recap from the beginning of the show and from its pilot episode Slow Beginnings up to season one, episode 11. So the story begins on a prison planet or asteroid, I should say, named Titan One. This is a asteroid that has the Hive Sea detention facility on it that is controlled by the guildsmen or these dwarf guild boss leaders who control a lot of travel throughout the universe. Um, they also tend to have a lot of detention facilities. These are private owned prisons and that is where the story begins. The story begins one month before the Elations, which is to say the shift of power from one of the cornerstones of the Triumvirate to another. It is a time for celebration and an ominous time of change. Our story begins with Clive Jensen, who is a synth, a artificial uh, human. Um, and he is interrogating a Grey named Ofax. He is on the prison, in the prison. He's been hiding away, working his way into it, and pretending to be this prisoner so that he can get closer to his quarry. Ofax, however, is not just any Grey. And just for reference, Greys are short folk who have these kind of like bulbous eyes, small mouths, hairless, and sucker pods on their feet which they are able to survive the vacuum of space as well as um 
use those sucker pods to not be affected so much by the changes in gravity when out in outer space. Clive, however, is intent on pulling information out of OFAX because OFAX is with a group known as the Shrined Cross. We learn early on that Clive lost his memory and has no clue who or what he is. He knows that he's not human and he knows that the answer to it lies within the minds of the scientists that were once a part of the Shrined Cross. He learned about the Shrined Cross from military documents from his time as a pilot in the military and the documents reference him as a synth but they also reference his creation with the Shrined Cross where a lot of the rest of it has been blocked out and he doesn't know who he is um, or what the situation is with them. So he's slowly been hunting down the various members, OFAX being the first. However, it does not go so well and OFAX doesn't give up much information uh, other than that OFAX regrets creating Clive. Clive, in a fit of rage, ends up killing OFAX, which sets him up to needing to escape the prison. Now, simultaneously, we have the Loxodon, an elephant on two feet, McKenna Ali, who is on an airbus to a nearby uh, colony planet by the name of Thala. A colony planet is a planet that is still uh, under a certain population amount and is slowly being made, quote unquote, more civilized. Why she is going there, um, we don't find out until a little bit later, but she's going there to find an old friend, an old friend who goes by the name of the Sunmaker. However, as the Airbus is on its way, it uh, faces mechanical error and needs repairs, and they happen to be right next to Titan 1. Knowing that the Dwarf Guildmans are there, the Airbus makes an emergency stop in the Hive C1 uh, detention facility where McKenna is deposited. Simultaneously to that, we then have Atlas. He has no last name, he's mysterious, without too much history to begin with. What we do know is he's hulking, he's a juggernaut, and he is a member of the Acer military. Acers in this world are a bit like Yakuza or Mafia, we learn. Atlas, however, is on his first mission alone without a team. All he has with him is his pilot who has been piloting him around um, and he, go get this, has been looking for the Sunmaker, a mysterious cult-like figure as far as he knows that disappeared suddenly. There is one other person from his family who was the last person to have contact with the Sunmaker. However, this being uh, a tiefling ended up betraying the family and when the authorities came for this other member of the Acer family, Atlas's family did not step in, intervene, and matter of fact they set it up so that he would get arrested. Now however, without being able to get any other leads, Atlas has been sent to extract information from this uh, figure who has fallen from grace, this figure known as the Kid. So Atlas has been set up with an alias as a reporter uh, who's just going to get the story of what it was like to work for the Acers and blah blah blah. So he arrives on the Hive C1 uh, detention facility at the same time Clive is trying to escape, McKenna's airbus is getting fixed, and makes his way into the facility and ends up having this meeting with the kid. The kid, who is found a new calling in life, um, has is willing to help Atlas, but only on one exception. 
that Atlas give, do the, him the favor of killing a pug or half-orc nicknamed the Painter, a murderer who has gone on quite a serial killing spree um, and often is enamored with the, the ability to use blood to make beautiful paintings, air quotes around beautiful. The kid wants the painter killed because he doesn't know why, but the uh, painter seems to get catch and released quite often. The kid suggests that maybe there's a political reason behind it, but he doesn't know why, and he has something against serial killers, as most people probably would, and wants the painter taken down. The kid has tried to take him down using his own resources as he's gained quite an influence within the detention, the detention facility, but suggests that higher-ups seem to be protecting him. So Atlas agrees, and in return learns that the Sunmaker was last seen on the planet of Thala. The kid promises to give more information, assuming that they can take care of the pug. We then move back to the docking bay of the detention facility, where Clive has now snuck into, and McKenna is in there with a bunch of disgruntled Airbus passengers. Now, there's a there's an announcement made that says that the Airbus won't be ready for liftoff, that the the need for repairs is more extensive than they thought, and it's going to take about seven, eight hours. So everyone will need to get comfortable. McKenna is in a hurry. Clive needs to escape before anyone discovers uh, Ofax's dead body. And they look at the other options. In this particular uh, arrival bay, there are no other ships except for Atlas's. So using a little bit of skill and a little bit of blundering, the two independent of each other, sneak on to the ship. The only one who truly sneaks on is Clive, where he then hides in a smuggler's hold. But McKenna rather obnoxiously sits on the uh, entrance ramp to the ship until Atlas returns. She then manages to haggle her way in by being annoying, uh, and Atlas, his cover has been slightly blown by the end of his time with the kid, and other guards start to realize uh, that Atlas is an acer. Um, and not only that, that they, especially this, there's a newer guard who is a little bit less wise to the ways of the world, is not willing to let the acer go. Um, so Atlas realizes he needs to take off as soon as possible, and unable to convince McKenna to leave, he just says, fine, get on. They get on the ship, and they blast off of the planet. Now, part of the reason why Atlas needs to blast off is he learns from the kid that the pug is being transferred at that very moment to a different facility, probably for a catch and release, and Atlas is trying to catch up. So as he starts to catch up with the ship, with the two, with the stowaway of Clive and McKenna obnoxiously being there, um, there is they are suddenly taken by surprise as pirates suddenly appear and rain fire upon the transport vessel for the prison ship, not knowing any better that Atlas's ship isn't like a Proctor guard ship or anything like that, or also a part of it, they fire upon them as well. The ship crashes, the prison vessel goes down, and they all find themselves crashed back onto the surface of Titan One. Having survived just barely by the skin of their teeth and learning that 
Clive was also a stowaway and being stuck with each other, they have very little option but to work together. Atlas's pilot perished in the crash, um, and Atlas still feels like he has a job to get done. Where he can see the smoke rising from where the prison ship crashed, he makes his way over there, basically dragging the others with him because they realize they're stronger together than separate, and they discover that the painter has barely survived. Atlas then uh, insists, more so forces, the painter to go with him as they carry him back to the detention facility, trying to escape the cold grasp of the night so that they do not freeze to death. They learn the hard way that one of the measures that the uh, dwarves have created for making sure that prisoners don't escape is they have released husk takers onto the planet. They are synthetic created monsters that are ravenous and will eat anything that they can get to. So they have to battle their way through that. They do, they return, and on their way back, they are greeted by not only proctors and guards of the facility, but also the Yeth. The Yeth are the secret police of the Triumvirate, and as the Elations are coming up, they are going to slowly be transitioned out of as much power as they have. They meet a Yeth commander by the name of Thil Ilkhan, who congratulates them on capturing the painter and helps them get back to the detention facility center without any questions being asked by the guards. He makes sure that they leave him alone, uh, Atlas alone, for, for, as he is an Acer, and he seems to provide security so that they can have a night's rest. And then Thilokan sets up a meeting with them for the next day. Um, that next day, when they go to meet with Thil Ilkhan, they learn that the Yeth have recently arrived on the asteroid um, and have pretty much taken matters into their own hands and taken uh, a lot more control over it than the Warden would like. He never says why, but he does tell them that he is very interested in them and is going to be watching them carefully from there on. And with that, the spacers are free to go. There is a little bit more that happens on the asteroid, but it turns out that it's mostly just a favor between them and the warden. The warden, uh, her name is Warden Yip. Um, she is a dwarf herself. There's obviously some tension between her and the Yeth, uh, but she has a favor of seeing um, in return for making sure that they get a ship to Thela, where they both feel like they need, where they all feel like they need to go. Um, she asks if they will take care of some problems down in the mines where the prison prisoners are uh, forced to mine for fuel for dragons, dragons being the type of starship uh, that actually warps gravity around them. And the spacers agree. They get a little bit more than they bargained for. Um, and they discover at the very end that there's something very strange about the fuel source uh, that is used for dragons. It seems to have the ability to warp the minds of those uh, that find it if it's if the fuel source is in a large enough cluster. Um, so they deal with that and true to reward, Warden Yip sets them up with a ship so that they can then make their way to Thela. Uh, without too much um, in the tooth, they do make their way to Thela. They uh, get to the orbital space station where they are then almost like a highway uh, fueled up for a, a hyperjump to 
Thela and in the period of about six days they arrive to the planet of Thela. Um, now from the painter they learned that they needed to go to the city of Nanoi uh, so they land and they land in the main city of Sanctuary and then make their way to the backwatered uh, city that the Sunmaker himself built known as Nanoi. Once they get there they think that finding the Sunmaker will be an easy task which it proves not to be so. They find a city that while at first seems quiet is in some sort of shambles uh, because as of late these signs have been appearing um, that suggest that once the signs have shown the founder of the city uh, Mr. Ackerm will return. They quickly learn that Mr. Ackerm and the Sunmaker are the one and same person and ha uh, meeting a tourist extraordinaire by the name of Dr. Dwindle they game they gain a little bit of information about what's going on, but he points them in the direction of a bar known, known as the Lonely Court, where they connect with a halfling proprietor by the name of Thyra. Now, while they're in there getting information from Thyra, McKenna's Neuralink is hacked. They don't know how or why, but this mysterious figure known as Aphid shows up in her mind that only she can see. The uh, virus seems to be more insidious than it seems as it is able to actually affect her in real life um, But also is just creepy if it insists that the first sign is coming uh, Once more the first sign being the rising of the dead as Aphid says that all of the windows burst the doors break down and technomanced dead return in in droves start to attack the patrons at the Lonely Cord. Um, the spacers go into a battle against them, and once they have cleared them out, Thyra the Halfling invites them uh, along with her right-hand uh, man who is helping guard and fight as well, down to a basement with questionable blood splotches. They learn that Thyra is somewhat of a criminal herself, and she is running a little bit afoul of the law, but she doesn't suggest how much so, but it is clear that things are not quite as clean or straight with her as it could be. However, she is wanting the signs to go away, and when she learns that the spacers are looking for the Sunmaker as well, she's able to, um, for her own reasons as well, but point them in direction of a cavern at the foot of the animas which are these foothills that lead into these mountains um, within the cavern is a loxodonian temple an ancient thing that she has not been able to get opened um, she knows that the one that she suspects is tricking everyone and making this happen a member of the political house uh the house of dictates a gray by the name of speaker holst has been frequenting there not only that but with dead and speaker holst has recently taken over the moratorium and thyra believes that speaker holst has been setting up these signs um specifically because the house of dictates does not want nanonoi to join the federation and the house of the affirmed recently has begun gaining has begun to gain the upper hand in getting the city to join uh, the Federation. Speaker Holst seems to be intent in every way of stopping it. Um, 
the dictates in a way are the conservative class of the city and they believe in the cult-like figure of the Sunmaker or Mr. Akram who founded the city. Now, Mr. Akram never wanted the city to join the Federation. He wanted it to be separate, um, but with his disappearance and kind of the loss in their kind of economic wealth, there is much more to be gained from in the eyes of many of the citizens by joining the Federation. Uh, so Thyra believes that Speaker Holst is engineering this whole thing, and she sends the Spacers that way to the Loxodonian Temple to see if they can help affirm that. Now, when they do arrive at the temple, um, they learn that the reason she, uh, they learn that the reason Thyra hasn't been able to break in is because the door to the temple requires the trunk of a Loxodon to open, which McKenna Ali is able to open herself we um so she opens the door and they make their way into this ancient temple and they think that they are completely alone that it's completely been abandoned and they learn that there is at least one guardian of the temple who ambushes them now a fight ensues once more within the temple and they're able to run the ambusher off without either party really being injured too much the spacers make their way into the inner sanctum after running off the assailant, a tiefling that they can tell, and they find on top of this tributary a Christosis shard. A Christosis shard is a element used, as we learned from McKenna Ali, for the Loxodon religion known as the Way. It is a way to communicate with the god or the pantheon of the Loxodons, and it is rare, and she's absolutely over the moon having like discovered this long-lost piece of history. However, it is not just any old element or relic. It actually indeed seems to hold some form of magic to it. It is programmed to hold the memories of the things that pass before it. And so with that, they are able to see into the past of what happened in this chamber of this inner sanctum below the tributary. There they see a family of inner cultists along with McKenna's friend, the Sunmaker. What starts off as it seems like the Sunmaker is using them, we learn that at least the Sunmaker, whether misguided or not, believes in everything he is saying himself. He is a Loxodon and he is teaching them about the way, but after many watching this different programmed historical events happening, it all ends with the Sunmaker convincing everyone to kill themselves for rebirth, including himself. Now, of all those who do not kill themselves, there is a familiar Grey by the name of Holst, who is now Speaker Holst. She is too afraid to kill herself. And then there is another that the Sunmaker re refuses to allow to kill himself, a tiefling servant named Gorn, one that the Sunmaker calls one of his oldest friends, and he says that he needs Gorn to protect the temples, and perhaps even find more. Gorn is not happy about it, and the two and the spacers put it together that Gorn is most likely the assailant who had to ambush them. Atlas, realizing this, makes his way throughout the rest of the temple to try and make sure that their flanks are covered, and that is where we pick up. So I hope that you guys, that helps give you guys some context and an easy place to jump in. From there, we hope you enjoy the story, Spacers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Starlight. If you enjoyed this, 
please like, share, subscribe. For early releases, exclusive RPG content, and other bonus material, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash starlightadventures. And to reach us for questions to be aired, email us at thestarlightadventures at gmail.com. See you next Tuesday, spacers.